Well, hey, good morning, everybody. I am glad that you made it to Plum Creek this morning. Today we are wrapping up our series called The Certainty of Eternity. But before we get into that, I need to give you a personal update that also relates to our church. And don't worry, it's a good thing. About two months ago, I was in a meeting with Jared Perkins. And on that day, I told Jared that I wasn't doing very well. Uh, This was before my mom had passed away, but she was in decline, and I felt the need to be there for my parents down in Tennessee. I also felt the need to cover all the bases here at home. And another factor is that I've been working through a few health issues of my own, which I've shared a little about here before. So I told Jared, I need some kind of a timeout so I can deal with everything that's on my plate. And Jared reminded me about something that I had forgotten. He said, you know, a long time ago, the elders approved a sabbatical policy for ministers here. He said, you should look into that. Now, in the church world, a sabbatical is a time of extended leave for a minister. The purpose is to spend time with God and to be renewed. But it's also a time for studying and learning and acquiring new skills for the next phase of ministry. A sabbatical can be very beneficial, and not just for someone who's going through a rough stretch. So I looked at our handbook, and I want to read you what I found there. It says, Plum Creek wants its staff members to be spiritually and mentally healthy, growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, and on the cutting edge of the best biblical and strategic thinking in their particular ministry areas. We desire for our staff to thrive in the ministry, to find refreshment, and to avoid burnout. And if you keep reading, the handbook explains that any of our ministers are eligible to apply for a sabbatical after serving here full-time for at least five years. And it's hard to believe, but I've been here just over seven and a half years. So having said all of that, here are a couple things I want to share with you. First, I have to say, Plum Creek is so blessed to have a group of elders who are truly concerned about the health of our congregation and the health of our staff. I thank God for these guys on a regular basis. The second thing I want to share is that I did go to the elders to submit a request for a sabbatical, and they were very supportive and approved it right away. We've planned out the dates, and I will be gone from May 20th through August 11th. In a way, that seems like a long time, but I know it'll go by very quickly. And during my time away, Dylan and Jared will be doing the majority of the preaching, and I know they'll do a great job. I won't be worshiping here at Plum Creek on Sundays, but every week I'll be visiting other churches and meeting with other leaders and learning everything I can. If you have any questions about any of this, feel free to ask me or any of the elders. We'd be glad to speak with you. But I wanted you to hear my heart on this because I have a goal that's very personal to me. This coming June will be 25 years since I went into full-time ministry. And I'm praying that God will allow me to be in ministry for at least 25 more years. I believe this sabbatical will be a helpful step in that direction. And let me be very clear. I love serving here at Plum Creek. My wife... And my kids and I, we we all think of this as our church home. As long as God wants me here, I'm happy to stay. 
Uh, So I'm very much looking forward to coming back in August with a new focus and new energy. And we have some exciting days ahead of us at Plum Creek, and it's going to be great to see what God will do. So that's my update. And before we get into the rest of the message, I want to go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just praise you and thank you for who you are. I thank you for providing what we need when we need it. And Lord, I want to lift up the rest of this year and and just turn it over to you. I pray that you will do what you want to do in my life and in the life of this church and in the life of your church around the world. I I pray that we will surrender to, to your plans, to your will. I know that you have great plans for each of us and for Plum Creek, and we just look forward to to seeing those plans come about. I pray now, Lord, that uh, you speak to us through your word, that we will listen and respond. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, all of this ties in perfectly with the sermon for today. I mentioned my personal goal of being in ministry another 25 years, but you know, all of us have long-term goals for our lives, And there's a principle that applies here, not just for ministers, but for anyone. In order to reach long-term goals, we have to keep the end in mind. Now, on any given day, it's very easy to fall back on short-term thinking. It's easy to make decisions based on how we feel in the moment. For example, let's say you're trying to get healthy. That's a long-term goal, right? But what kind of things get in the way of that goal? Well, maybe you stayed up too late last night, and now today you don't feel like exercising. Or maybe a coworker had a birthday this week, and somebody brought in a big cake to celebrate. That's when certain thoughts come in, like, yeah, I don't think it'll ruin everything if I have one piece of cake right now. Or, or what's the big deal if I skip my workout just this once? And it's true, one small decision may not be the end of the world, but little compromises can become habits And before long, we can find ourselves completely off track, not making any progress toward that original goal anymore. But what happens when we keep the end in mind? It's kind of an amazing thing. A long-term perspective can help you make good short-term decisions in the moment. If we take that example of trying to get healthy, maybe you keep reminding yourself that you want to be there for your kids or your grandkids years down the road. We need to have some kind of compelling vision because that vision motivates us. It helps us persevere to keep pressing on toward the goal. Now, for the last few weeks, we've focused on this big idea of eternity. We've talked about death and the afterlife. We've talked about heaven and hell. And we keep pointing to the fact that everyone spends eternity somewhere. But I want to wrap up this series with a question. If eternity is coming... It definitely is. It's already begun. But if eternity is coming, how should we live here and now? God has a lot to say about this, and and we're going to let God teach us through the words of the Apostle Paul. And you may know that Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament, and his last contribution to the Bible is a letter called 2 Timothy. As Paul writes this letter, his time on earth is coming to a close. He's about to die, and he knows it. So Paul sends one final message to Timothy, his younger protege. And Paul loved Timothy. 
Spiritually, they had kind of a father-son relationship. And toward the end of this letter, Paul encourages Timothy to live with the end in mind. Let's read some of Paul's last words. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting with verse 6. Paul writes, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Now, based on that brief paragraph, we can already see that Paul had some big long-term goals for his life. He wanted to leave this world confident that he had been faithful, that he had fulfilled the calling that God set out for his life. So this morning, let's borrow Paul's long-term goals and apply them to our lives Do you want to live the life that God meant for you to live? And when your journey on earth is over, do you want to look back and know that you have been faithful? Do you want to have the confidence that you're headed for a great reward in heaven? I know I do. So here's the plan this morning. We're going to break down this passage one piece at a time. And we'll see that Paul has given us a pattern to follow. He's showing us how to live with the end in mind. So let's go back to the first sentence here. Paul wrote, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. Now, what does Paul mean by that? Well, in the Old Testament, people made several kinds of offerings to God. There were animal sacrifices, there were grain offerings, and there were drink offerings. Uh, A drink offering would often be wine, and, and the wine would be poured over an altar as a gift to God. So as Paul nears the end of his life, he's saying, that's me. I'm I'm like this drink offering. I have poured myself out as a gift to God. Uh, my, My life has been about serving and worshiping my Lord and my King. And you know, the truth is, all of us pour out our lives, devote our lives to something or someone. We all make decisions about where to spend our time and our energy and our resources And when human beings do just what comes naturally, our tendency is to devote ourselves to lesser things. But here in this verse, Paul is already showing us how to live. When we live with the end in mind, we will first of all worship at the right altar. We'll let God have the number one place in our lives. And that's our first takeaway this morning. Worship at the right altar. Now with that in mind, I have a challenge for all of us here. Uh, We're going to take an honest look at ourselves and do a little evaluation. I want us to deal with this question. If we're all pouring our lives out for something or someone, where is your devotion going? And it may seem a little strange, but one way to think about this is to imagine what will be said at your funeral. As a minister, I'm sometimes asked to lead a funeral for someone I've never met, That can be a challenge because I've come to believe that funerals are best when they're personal. So these days I make it a point to sit down with a few family members of the person who died or maybe some close friends, and I'll ask a few questions. I'll say, help me get to know this person. What was he like? What was she passionate about? And through the responses and stories I hear, I get a picture of that person. Sometimes the picture can be very revealing 
I heard a story from Kyle Eidelman, who preaches at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville. Kyle was getting ready to speak at a funeral for a man that he didn't know. This, this man was in his 30s, and he died in an accident. So Kyle circled up with the family, and he did just what I'm talking about. He asked the family to describe this young man. Who was he? What did he care about? The family thought about it, and after a few moments, the mom spoke up, and she said, well, he was really into hats. He collected hats. And Kyle said, like baseball caps? And the mom said, oh, all kinds of hats. So Kyle jotted that down. All right, he was into hats. And then he said, so what else can you tell me about him? And after that question, there was an uncomfortable silence. Finally, the mom spoke up again, and she said, you really should come by and see his hat collection sometime. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with collecting a few hats. We all have our own interests and hobbies, and that's totally fine. But when it comes time to summarize what your life has been all about, don't you want people to talk about something more significant than a hat collection? So let's do that evaluation real quick. In the note sheet in your bulletin, there's a box, and I want you to fast forward to the time of your funeral. When people look back on your life and they start describing you, what will they say your life was all about? That's not a rhetorical question. I'd like for all of us to, to close our eyes for just a few moments and imagine what people would really say based on what they see in you. What would they say you care about? What would they say you love? What are you devoting yourself to? Go ahead and let's close our eyes and think of a few possible answers. I hope you had time to come up with a few answers. But filling the box is just the first step. The next step is to look at those answers and see if they match up with how we were meant to live. If you've paid any attention to basketball lately, you know the name Tony Bennett. He's head coach of the Virginia Cavaliers, the winners of this year's NCAA tournament. And I've known about Tony Bennett for years because a friend of mine named Jeff Vines has been a good friend of Tony's for a long, long time. And Jeff always said that Tony had a very sincere and authentic faith in Jesus. In the last few weeks, I've seen several stories about Tony Bennett, and it really does seem like his faith is real. I want you to listen to something he said a few years ago. He said, I have great things in my life, my love for my wife, my love for coaching, my love for basketball. Those are wonderful things. But when you line them up in comparison to Christ and the relationship you have with him, with what he's done for you and what he's given you, they don't compare. And that's the greatest truth I know. Now that is a statement from someone who has chosen to worship at the right altar. You know, it just doesn't work to think of your life as a pie chart where you only allow God to have a little piece of the pie. No, he deserves our total commitment According to Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? 
The greatest commandment is to love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind, 100%. And when we give all of our devotion to God, everything else in life falls into its proper place. And why would that be? Well, it's pretty obvious, really. We were created by God to bring glory to God. That's why we exist. We're made to pursue Him above all else. Nothing else and no one else deserves to be in that number one place. Not success, not pleasure, not your friends, and not your family either. Think about heaven for a second. Most of us would say we want to be in heaven. But what's the best thing about heaven? We talked about this, right? When you belong to Jesus, the the great promise about heaven is that you get to be with God. You get to worship him face to face. Now, to be in God's presence is the deepest longing of every human being, no matter who you are, even people who say they don't believe in God. This is really what all of us want. Think about it. Why are we never quite satisfied by anything in this life or anything in this world? The answer is simple. We will never be satisfied until we are in the presence of God. That's where we're made to be. That's the long-term goal. And if that's our goal, let's keep the end in mind. Let's make our lives about something bigger than a hat collection or making money or amusing ourselves or anything else that doesn't matter in the long run. So what is in your box? What's your life all about? If the current answers don't match up with what's truly important, write down some new answers. Set a new long-term goal and make a commitment to worship at the right altar. But let's get back to 2 Timothy chapter 4. In the last part of verse 6, Paul said, the time of my death is near. So what would our takeaway be here? Well, this is what we've been talking about for weeks now. When we live with the end in mind, we will keep the right perspective. We'll remember that this life is short. Eternity is long. When Paul wrote those words that the time of his death was near, it's quite possible that he had only a few days left to live. But the reality is, any of us could say the same thing. And it would be true. The time of our death is near. A few weeks ago, we read from James chapter 4, which says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, it's one thing to read those words, nod your head, and agree that it's true. But it's another thing to to let those words sink into your soul. I wanted us to visualize what James is saying in this verse. So I brought along a can of Febreze with me today. Uh, James is saying, this is what your life is like. You're born. Then you float around for a few years, and then you're gone. Here comes somebody else. Born, here for just a little while, and then gone. I can't see that mist anymore. It smells really fresh up here, though. But from God's perspective, that's what our lives look like. Compared to eternity, our time in this world is so short. And and you could die today, or you could live to be 100. But either way, you and I are just a mist. So what happens when we let this truth sink in? What difference does it make in how we live? 
Well, it should make a big difference in a couple of ways. First, if you're a follower of Jesus who's going through a very difficult time, it's helpful to know that this life is short because that gives you a real and a tangible hope. That's what Paul says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Remember that? He said, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So if you're struggling right now with depression or grief or health issues, if you're dealing with hurts from your past, or if someone is in the process of hurting you here in the present, man, there is a great promise that we just heard. And it's for everyone in Christ. One day, we will look back and say, all my troubles on earth, they were just light and momentary compared to my present reality, the present glory of being with God. And it may be hard to imagine saying that. But this is a promise from God. It's right here in his word. And you can let this hope be an anchor for your soul. So that's one way your life changes when you have this perspective. But I'll give you one more difference. When we truly understand how short this life is, we will live with a sense of urgency. You'll be saying, God, I don't want to waste my life. Help me make the most of these few years. Some people think Christianity is about sitting around and waiting for heaven. But that is completely inaccurate. We're not killing time here. We have a narrow window of opportunity where God can use us to do what he's called us to do. That takes us to the next part of this passage in 2 Timothy. Look at verse 7. Paul writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. So Paul accomplished one of his long-term goals. At the end of his life, he could look back and know that he had been faithful to God. Now, he wasn't perfect. Only Jesus could say that. But overall, Paul was faithful. And look closely. Did that faithfulness come easy? Absolutely not. It was a fight, wasn't it? And right here, I need to say something about grace. We talk about God's grace a lot around here. And we should because it's such an amazing thing. Grace means that God gives us what we don't deserve. He accepts us not because of what we do, not because of our performance. God accepts us because of what Jesus has already done on the cross. Grace is a gift, and all we need to do is receive it. But you know, a lot of people really misunderstand grace. Grace does not mean that we just coast through life without fighting for change. Grace does not lead to some complacency where we would say, well, I guess it doesn't matter how I live because God's going to forgive me no matter what I do. No, it's true that God has a, an amazing capacity to forgive, but he also calls us to be faithful. And if we love him, and, and if we're truly grateful for what Jesus has done, we will do everything we can to please him. We will fight some difficult battles for his glory. So that's our next takeaway. When we live with the end in mind, we're going to fight the right battles today. So what battles are we talking about here? I'll give you three examples. First, you're going to fight the battle of doing good. 
This world is a mess. You and I both know that. But God wants this world to experience His goodness here and now. And that's where the church comes in. God calls His people to build His kingdom here in this present world, even though we do have to wait for the final perfected version of His kingdom. A few weeks ago, we read from Galatians chapter 6, where Paul says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, do we get discouraged? Sure. Do we get tired or even exhausted? Yeah, we do. And God does say that it's good for us to rest when we need it. But he also says, don't ever give up on doing good. Amazing things will happen when we don't give up. I get so encouraged when I see people in our church serving faithfully, week after week, year after year. Some of you are making a difference here at Plum Creek in places like our kids' ministry. Some of you are making a difference in the world beyond Plum Creek, like those of you who served this week by hosting homeless families through the ministry of Family Promise. But whatever role you're serving in, I want to thank you because you are fulfilling this command to not grow weary in doing good. So that's one kind of battle, but there's a second category. We need to fight the battle against sin. Now, Satan would love to pull you away from a faithful life of following Jesus. He would love to trip you up with whatever temptation you are drawn to. But God says, don't fall for that. It doesn't have to be that way. On one side, God calls us to kill off the desires of the flesh, things like greed and lust and fits of rage. On the other side, God calls us to grow in virtues like love and joy and peace and patience. Basically, he would like us to just be like Jesus. (laughs) And you know, that's a fight that can feel completely overwhelming. I mean, how am I supposed to win every battle against every temptation? After all, I'm not Jesus. Well, Paul, over in his letter to the Romans, reminds us of an important truth. Romans 8, verse 13, Paul says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So how is it that we make real progress in this battle against sin? By the Spirit. That's where the power comes from. So if we stay connected to Jesus and we stay connected to his body, which is the church, we find strength from the Holy Spirit to fight and actually win these battles. I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm saying that it's very possible. Now, there's one more type of battle I should mention, and it goes back to that sense of urgency I mentioned a few minutes ago. This one is fighting for the people that God has put in your life. Look around you. Who has God placed in your path? Some of them may be followers of Jesus. They're trying to be faithful, but it's not always easy. So God has put you in a position to encourage them. Other people around you have not made a commitment to Christ. They're not living with the end in mind. As of this moment, they're worshiping at the wrong altar. They're not headed for eternal life. They're headed for eternal death. So what's your role to play? Well, don't put too much on your shoulders. You can't save anyone. None of us can. But God has put you in a position to point those people to Jesus, the one who can save. Let me ask you, how's that going right now? 
For the last few weeks, uh, we've been talking a lot about your one. Your one is a person in your sphere of influence who, as far as you know, does not have a relationship with Jesus right now. Your one is a person that God has put on your heart. It's someone that you want to see next to you in heaven. During this series, we've allowed God to stir up a sense of urgency. Many of us have identified our one. We've been praying for our one. And we've invited our one to join us for Easter, where they'll get to hear the good news about Jesus. I checked in with our elders and staff this week, and I found out that 100% of us have all invited our ones to be here for Easter. And then beyond that group of leaders, I've heard so many other stories about many of you reaching out in ways that you've never done before. That is so exciting. If you haven't made that invite yet, there's still time. You have one more week And this opportunity is important because we know that around Easter, people are more likely to say yes to an invitation to church. But let's be clear. When you sign up to follow Jesus, you're signing up for some tough battles. Let's remember, we don't fight these battles in our own strength. We depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. And we don't fight these battles to try to win God's approval. We fight because we love God We fight because of what he's done for us. It's a response. We want to live for him. We want to be faithful to do everything he's called us to do. And we keep the end in mind. We have this vision of the future, this future day when all of us will stand before Jesus. And and we want to hear these words. We want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, Paul was really looking forward to seeing Jesus and receiving a reward from him. Listen to Paul's confidence here in 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. Paul says, And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. There's no uncertainty about that. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. It's true that one day Jesus will return. It's true that we will stand before him at the final judgment. If you choose to worship at the wrong altar, that's going to be a very bad day. But if you accepted Jesus, if you gave God the number one place in your life, that's going to be the best day ever. Not only will you be spared eternity in hell, which all of us deserve, and receive an eternity in heaven, which none of us deserve, you'll also get a reward based on how you spent your time in this life. I don't know about you, but I want Jesus to look at me and say, Doug, I am so proud of you. That's another one of my long-term goals. And I pray it's one of your goals, too. So let's keep the end in mind. When we do that, we will refuse to waste our lives on trivial things. When we live with the end in mind, we will pursue the right reward. That's the final takeaway for our, from our passage today. Pursue the right reward. So we have a great pattern to follow here. Worship at the right altar, keep the right perspective, fight the right battles, and pursue the right reward. This is a formula that can help all of us live the life we were meant to live, the the kind of life where we make the most of our brief time here on earth, and then we claim this promise of eternity in heaven. You know, part of the reason we come together as a church is to remind ourselves of these things, to remember Jesus to pray for God's help, and, and to worship God. And, you know, worship is just practice for what we'll be doing forever in heaven. 
So this morning, we're going to spend the rest of our time here doing these very things. We're going to remember Jesus, we're going to pray, and we're going to worship. In just a few moments, we'll go into a time that we call the Lord's Supper or Communion. We do this every Sunday because Jesus asked us to. He asked his followers to remember him in this way. We remember that Jesus went to the cross and he suffered and he died so that we would have the chance to escape the punishment of eternal death and hell and receive the promise of eternal life. It was his sacrifice that made that possible. So we take this small piece of bread, which represents the body of Jesus, and we take the cup, which represents the blood of Jesus. We eat, we drink, we remember, and we're thankful. This morning, we'll be taking the Lord's Supper in a little different way than normal. We usually pass the plates down the rows, but uh, this morning, we have four stations in the room, two down front and, and two in the back. After I pray in just a moment, if you are a follower of Jesus, we invite you to make your way to one of those four stations. And as you eat the bread and drink from the cup, I encourage you to speak to Jesus directly. Thank him for what he's done, for laying down his life so that you could have eternal life. And then before you leave that station, I want to ask you to do one more thing. Next to each communion table, there's a second table with lots of different colored post-it notes. If you were here last Sunday, you'll remember that many of us wrote down the name of our one on a post-it note. And we've been praying over those names this week, but we're going to keep praying this morning. So after you've been to the communion table, you're invited to stop at the second table and then choose one name from all of those notes, at least one. Don't take the note with you. Just remember the name and pray as you go back to your seat. Because that person is somebody's one. Pray that they'll say yes to an invitation to church to be here next Sunday for Easter. Pray that they'll be open to the gospel. Pray that at some point they'll find a relationship with Jesus and that we'll get to be together with them in heaven. So after we've had a chance to share in the Lord's Supper and pray over those names, we're going to worship together. And let's imagine what it'll be like to worship God face to face in heaven. Look into the future. Holding on to that vision will help us worship here today. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I thank you so much for your love for us. You didn't have to love us, but we thank you. Lord, I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. That was a choice. We weren't entitled to that, but we thank you. And so as we go into this time, Lord, I pray that our hearts will be full of gratitude. And for all of us who have this promise of eternal life, I also pray that we won't be satisfied knowing that others haven't received that gift yet. So help us, Lord, to care and and to remember and to be open to being used by you to reach out and share your love. God, I pray that uh, we'll be uh, changed by being in your presence in these next few moments. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.